0: So today, Torah and Tea, of course, it's a double portion. It's the portion of Achre Mois and Kedoshim. As usual, we'll try to do a little bit of the Parsha, something of Achre and something of Kedoshim. You know, the different, uh, these are full with various laws and uh, a lot of details, and there's, uh, you know, a whole lot to uh, discuss. But, of course, we'll do one piece, uh, do those small piece, something in the portion of Acharei, and something in the portion of Kedoshim. And um, uh, we'll start with the uh, Acharei, which is um, in Lakute Sikhas, Volume 17, Uh, the first Sicha for the portion of Acharei. So this portion talks about mostly about Yom Kippur, in the beginning of the portion. I say mostly, I mean the opening of the first uh, verses in the Parsha, the first sections, talks about Yom Kippur. Actually, uh, the Pasik begins with telling you about the uh, passing of the sons of Aaron, but that's an introduction to the um, Yom Kippur service. And in the Yom Kippur service, you know, we had various different sacrifices. Mainly, the main player on Yom Kippur was actually the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, who was, at the time, it was Aharon. Aaron was the main player, and he was the one that brought the various different sacrifices, the special uh, sacrifices and services of the incense that was done on Yom Kippur. So, in verse 6, it states something interesting. It says, and Aaron, uh, he served both as a representative of all his tribe, of the Levites, as a representative of all Jewish people, and also as representing himself. So, There were various different sacrifices. There was one that he brought for himself. There was a sin offering, which is brought as an atonement for himself. So the verse says in verse 6, he shall offer, Aaron will offer the atonement bull that is his, which means that it's himself for himself, and then it says, he will atone for himself, ba'ado. And then it says, uva'ad beiso. What is beiso? Beiso, anybody knows what abayit is? Oh, his house. His house. What does it mean, his house? What is he atoning? What does it mean? He atones for himself and for his house. What is this house? Who is Beso? Who is his house? It says he atones for himself and for his house. So the Talmud, in the beginning of the tractate Yuma, you know, there is a whole tractate which discusses these verses, basically, of Yom Kippur in great, great detail. And the very opening of the tractate explains what is the meaning of be ad be so. So the Gemara says that Beito Zu Ishto. When it says his home, it means his wife. <laughs> that he atones for himself and for his home, his home meaning his wife. And basically, the Talmud learns from this because the Torah says he has to atone for his wife, for his home, for his wife. So that means that the Kohen Gadot must be married. If he is to do the service on Yom Kippur in the temple, he must be married. Because we have to observe this verse that says you shall atone for himself and for his family. So he has to have a a home and the home is his wife, as the Talmud explains. So that means that he has to be married. But the question really is, what's the purpose? Why is it necessary for the Kohen Gadol to be married. Why? What happens if a Kohen Gadol is single? What happens if the Kohen Gadol never got married? What happened if the Kohen Gadol got divorced? What happened if the Kohen Gadol's wife died? Why would the marriage be a stipulation for the Kohen Gadol to do his service in the Beit HaMikdash? Actually, The law is that for seven days the Kohen Gadol before Yom Kippur is separated from his wife. He's not allowed to be together with his wife for seven days that precede Yom Kippur. And here we're saying that the only Kohen that can serve in the temple, on Yom Kippur, if he has a wife? And at the same time we're saying, says the halacha, that he's not allowed to be with his wife. So why would it be of such essence that he must have, why is it necessary for him to have a wife? That he has to be married. As the verse says, And the key to understanding this, why is by first trying to understand why the verse refers to the wife as his home. Uh, Why doesn't the verse just state he will atone for himself and for his wife? (inaudible) Ubaad ishto. Ishto in Hebrew means his wife. So we should have said, why does it have to say for his home. And then we have to come on to an interpretation that it means his wife, why doesn't it just say straight out he will atone for himself and for his wife? Well, this is the key. The key here we're not just talking about being married. We're talking about, you know, the Cohen Gadol He's doing the services on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur services are considered the most profound and the most special services of the entire year because Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the entire year. And also, and also, the Yom Kippur is done in the most holiest space of the world, which is where? In the holy of holiest, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And it is performed by whom? By the Kohen Gadol, who is considered to be of all the people, the most distinguished. And it says that Hashem (laughs) separated the Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol to be Serving as Kodesh Kodashim, so on that special holy moment, on Yom Kippur, on the day that the Kohen Gadol, the holiest of the people, enters into the holiest of places, we expect the Kohen Gadol to be at his highest and greatest level. How is this expressed? it is expressed by saying, uve'ad beito. Not saying for his wife, but saying for his home, and the home means his wife. What is this all telling us? Well, there is a very interesting statement in the Talmud about one rabbi And the Talmud speaks of the greatness of this rabbi's conduct and how he was, in certain ways, more special than the other rabbis. And the Gemara says one thing about this rabbi, also very interesting, which relates which will maybe give us a little bit of an understanding. What is this thing about calling your wife? Or why does the Apostle call a wife as your home? So there the Talmud states, Rabbi Yossi said, I never called my wife, my wife. I always called her my home. I always called my wife, my home. Never called her my wife. What does this mean? What is Rab What is we trying to And we're sort of saying, not everybody can reach that level of Rab To most people, the wife was the wife sometimes, and the wife was sometimes the home. But to Rab it was always, he never called his wife wife he always called her my home he called her my host my house this is a special quality that the talmud attributes to rav yossi that rav yossi was at that level what does this mean what does this mean what is this level that we say that he his relationship with his wife that he referred to her as my home. And once we'll understand that, maybe we can understand also why the Kohen Gadol on that day need to reach that level of beso, of instead of just saying his wife needs to be his home, if he comes to that level, that means that the Kohen Gadol has reached at a higher level on that special day of Yom Kippur, that his home is his wife? You wanted to say something? Yes. you want to say something? No? Oh no. Oh no. Sounded like okay. Oh, Looked like I should say because this is we're They're talking about thinking. vision now. To yeah. see, you can see the person's expression. Like you see, that's what we're talking about. When you but I was see thinking, someone, Rabbi. The matter is that um Hashem wants us unlike where other religions have other ideas, but in uh, Judaism we know that Hashem wants us to get married, to have children. God should bless us all that we should be able to reach that goal, but the world is there to procreate and to And therefore, it's not meant just uh, to be with Hashem. It's meant, the main thing Hashem wants is, so when you say the goal is Hashem, but Hashem's goal is for people to get married and create another generation uh, to come. And, you know, by the way, Hashem should bless everyone. You know, I know a lot of people try, but not everybody is... Uh, fortunate enough, but the blessings will come. But the goal of Hashem and in a wife is not to just see her for other reasons, but to see her as part, and most important, that's what Rabbi that's what the Godla reaches on the day of Yom Kippur. You know, there's a very interesting, what we discussed now about the uh, Beito, his, his wife. That's the opening of the tractate. But then there is a another Mishnah, which I want to read to you. I'll translate it to you in the English in the end of the chapter of Yuma. And we know that the end and the beginning are connected. So there's another point over here I wanted to bring out. It says over there that Rabbi Eleazar ben Azariah a so Rabbi Atana, he expounded it says in the Pasuk that we're talking about Yom Kippur it says that Hashem will forgive you from all the sins that are before Hashem. So when we sin against Hashem then Yom Kippur atones for that. However, if we sin against another individual, Yom Kippur will not forgive for you. You must ask forgiveness. You must appease your friend before. That's what the Mishnah says, Rabbi Lazim Ben-Nazari.
1: Then there's
0: another statement. The other statement is from Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says... Israel, how lucky you are. Ashreichem Yisrael. He says, lucky are you, Israel. Because he says, look, who is the one that is cleansing you? Who is purifying you? It's your Father in Heaven. Before whom do you purify? Who purifies you? Hashem. Hashem is the one that pur- purifies you. Quotes from the verse, Hashem says, I will sprinkle pure water and I'll make you clean. So we see Hashem purifies you. And then He brings another verse that says, Mikvah Yisrael Hashem. Who's the mikvah for Israel? Who's the pool of water for Israel where Israel immerses themselves to clean themselves? Hashem! Mikvah Yisrael Hashem, he says. He quotes from the verse in uh, Yermia Yud that Hashem is our Mikvah. And then he says some, finishes off with some very powerful words over here that I want to stop on that the Rebbe points out. He says, just like a Mikvah purifies those that are impure. If an impure person walks into, immerses themselves, in a mikvah, so then the mikvah purifies those who are not ritually pure. So just like it says here Hashem is the mikvah of Israel. Just like a mikvah purifies those who are not pure, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu purifies Israel. HaKadosh Baruch purifies Israel just like a mikvah purifies those who are not clean. Now, there's an interesting law about a mikvah. Various different people go to the mikvah. So mostly we know that uh, the law of a mikvah of women, after the menstrual cycle, they use the mikvah. That's the most known halacha. But in the time when the people would eat the various different uh, kodesh or go into the base Mikdash, there were other times that people used the mikvah when they were ritually impure. Now, there are various different in the chumash, and in the Talmud, the Mishnais, there are various different laws with various different kinds of impurities. Touching an insect, for example, some uh, uh, bodily fluids sometimes will make the person uh, impure. Various, various different types of impurities. And there's also various different types of laws. Like sometimes the law is that a person has to wait seven days before they can go to the mikvah. Sometimes the law is that the person can go the next day to the mikvah. Various different impurities. So, what happens, for example, in the event that a person became Tomei, became impure, and let's say he has to wait seven days, or he's impure now. And during that impurity, he happened to touch an insect. If you touch an insect, he can go to the mikveh right away, he doesn't have to wait. So what happens if he goes in the mikveh during the time that he can't use the mikveh because he has something else. He has two things that made him impure. One of the things he has to wait seven days, and the other thing he has to wait till one day. And he goes to the mikvah after one day. But he's still impure with the other, uh, with the seven day impurity. Did it help for that impurity of the day? Whatever the case is. In other words, can you use the mikvah while you're impure, you're still impure, but is it going to help? While you're impure for something smaller, even though you're bigger, uh, you're, there's more impurity. And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. If a person, if you read on the deck, if a person is impure we're a lighter and more severe level of impurity it has two impurities a lighter and a more severe level of impurity, and goes to the mikvah, the mikveh at least will pure him from the lighter impurity. It will pure from that, even though he's still. So the question is like this. When we come to Hashem, and maybe we have lots of problems, okay? Maybe we made a lot of mistakes in our lifetime, okay? And maybe it's too hard for us to go ahead and regret or feel bad or turn to Hashem about everything we did. But there is one particular thing that we feel bad about. Maybe we feel bad about I didn't give my parents enough respect. Maybe I don't care about some of the other things that I've done. But that thing bothers me. So if I come to Hashem and I say, Hashem, please forgive me for... It bothers me that I didn't give my parents enough respect. It bothers me. I want forgiveness for that. So then Hashem will say to you, but wait a minute. Why are you asking forgiveness for not giving respect? But what about some of the other things that you did? Uh, maybe you said something mean to someone, and you have other issues that you have made mistakes. Will God forgive you for a particular mistake? Or God will say, "No, no, no. We need the whole th- either. You do everything, you do tshuva, and you feel bad, but otherwise I'm not going to for one. More. So if you look closely to the words of the Mishnah we said before, it says a mikvah can purify. Not to defile, it purifies those who are defiled, which means the mikvah works even if you're defiled. If you have a lesser level of Tumah, we said before, the mikveh is still going to purify you from that lesser level, even though you have a more serious level of Tumah, but the mikveh is going to do part of it for you. Hashem is going to do part of it for you. Because Hashem loves each and every one of us, and because Hashem cares about us, Hashem is not asking from us to become perfect. He's not asking from us to change our lives totally and become different people. That's not what He's expecting from us at all. Hashem is acting like the mikvah that can purify even people that remain defiled even after using the mikvah. So Hashem acts as a mikvah for the smaller things that we've done, even though we have to deal even with more, with bigger baggage and with more serious and with more matters that are troubling us. Just like the mikvah purifies even those that remain tummy. This is also, Hashem purifies in that way. Um, The Rebbe writes, I want to read you some of the words of the Rebbe. The Rebbe writes, let me see, where do I have this here? Let us see. um, The Rebbe writes some very powerful words. I want to read the words of the Rebbe. The Rebbe writes: A Jew comes to Hashem. It's in it's in Hebrew, so I'm going to translate it for you. The Rebbe writes that a yid, a Jew, comes to Hashem, and he says to Hashem, "Listen, I don't have the power to even come to you to ask you for uh, forgiveness, really." See. Ayid comes to Hashem and begs. I don't have the strength, I don't have the time to retract for all of my misdeeds. I only have a few minutes. So I want to regret and confess on these and such and such issues that really bother me. So the person may think that Hashem does not accept such a kind of a, of a repentance such a kind of return. Remakiva tells you no Israel you're lucky Israel this is how lucky the Jews are that when Hashem sees, that even that a Jew turned to him in any aspect, even a drop, Hashem immediately forgives him. Eventually, Hashem helps him that he should bring one mitzvah to another mitzvah so you get rid of everything else and then you become a Shuva and you become greater in Sadi Gomorrah. And I think sometimes people. Have feel an obstacle, because they don't feel that they can do everything, because they feel that it's uh, too much, you know, you can't do it, it's a lot to ask for a person to do all of Torah, all of Mitzvahs, and therefore, they say, opt out, and they say, okay, you know what, can't do it, can't do it all, so I'm going to do nothing. But you know, it's no different than your physical life as well. You know, that if you don't take care, if you don't take all your medicines, you don't take care of your health, it doesn't mean that you should do everything wrong. Do the best you can. Same thing is with your spiritual health. Just because we can't do everything, and just because we shouldn't feel like, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, I feel like a hypocrite, you know. I'm gonna come to shul, and I know that I don't do everything that, you know, that they expect, or that I expect for myself, and and therefore, you know, I'd rather not come to shul. That's the advice of the evil inclination to get you not to even do the little bit that you want to do. The truth Mm -hmm. of the matter is, anything that a Jew does any mitzvah that you do, any little bit that you give of yourself, besides the fact that it's invaluable to Hashem, whatever you do, eventually that would lead to a more and more mitzvah. There was a woman who lived in our community, actually where I lived before, some people may know them and they no longer live for a long time. They lived in Brookline, but they used to work at the Chabad Day School. The Charters, I don't know if you remember. The Charters, mm-hmm. anybody remembers Stu and, and Jill Charter. But anyways, mm-hmm. uh, they were uh, people that we befriended when we first moved to the Boston area. She just wrote uh, published an article in the uh, Woman's Journal. About her experience of embracing Yiddishkeit. And she said that basically she had no interest whatsoever. And her husband was uh, interested, got interested once again to Shul, and he says, You know, we're keeping kosher and we're keeping Shabbat. That's what he said. And she said, You know, you're crazy. She says, You know, if you wanted to marry a religious girl, you should have married somebody else. You know, he says, I wasn't religious, and I will never be religious. And she says, and I'm not interested. And, you know, and, you know, they fought for a long time. And, but, as she said, I had was going to leave him many times. But, you know, she said, I loved him too much to leave him. Eventually, but what she says is, over there the idea is that one mitzvah, the people that reach out and they talk to them and encourage them, while it seemed so far fetched, almost unbelievable, that now she has children and grandchildren and great grandchildren, and they're all you know part of the uh, Chabad community. But she said this was such a unlikely and such an improbable, this would never, never occur that something like that would ever take place. But she said it is, she's basically talking from her perspective to the people that reach out. She says you cannot imagine what you, what the people do that even though they never believe that this is ever, ever going to happen, and I can attest to that because I knew that person way beginning when I first came. And, you know, they spent many, many uh, days and hours at our table and our home and and uh, learned and various things. But this is what the Rebbe is talking about over here. He says, you know, start with, with a little bit and then see where it takes you, you know what I'm saying? doesn't take you where it takes you. But the good thing is, Hashem loves us all the time and Hashem accepts us all the time. And we are special to Hashem. So it's not possible to say, Hashem won't accept you because you're not perfect. Because Hashem isn't looking for necessarily the perfect people. Hashem is looking for the frail and for the people, human beings, that need an embrace, need a a warm place, spiritually their soul needs a warm place, it needs a place of a connection to Hashem, like this Shir Tanya discusses about getting a hug from Hashem, getting a kiss from Hashem, getting uh, squished by Hashem, sort of a real uh, a beer hug from Hashem. Uh, uh, but these are all a relationship that Rabakiva brings out with the words, Ashrechem and Yisrael, that Israel is lucky because we are fortunate that Hashem loves us that much and that He purifies us and He will accept us no matter what. And even if we do a little bit, if we turn to Hashem, He accepts it. And he helps us go further. That's the uh, point from uh, from this seicha, from this talk. So a few minutes. It's Anybody beautiful. want to say a comment about it? It's okay. It's very heartwarming. It's very lifting. So let's do briefly something about the second parsha, which is the portion of kedoshim, and. Um, here we have an interesting verse. It talks about theft. It says, "Lo tignovu, you shall not steal. Now, if you notice, also in the Ten Commandments, it says, "Lo tignov, don't steal. This is in the portion of Kedoshim. But in the Torah, in the Ten Commandments, Ten Sayings, both in the Parsha of uh, Shimos in Yisroel, <laughs> as well as in the Chumash of the Devarim in Va'aschanim, uh, in where we have the repetition of the ten, it also says don't steal. But what's the difference? And Rashi says that here we're sto- talking about stealing money or values from the. In the Ten Commandments, we're talking about stealing kidnapping. That's talking about another type of stealing. This is talking about monetary, stealing something. The Torah says, don't steal. But it's interesting that our sages tell us that one who steals is like serving idols. Why would the Torah say, especially, about stealing? that it's like serving idols. What is the connection? Normally, stealing is one of the prohibitions. You know, you're taking something from another person. And why would the Torah compare this to idol worship? And, of course, there is a, a lot of things that the Torah compares to idol worship. As for example... Uh, the Tanya talks a lot about the fact that the Talmud says one who gets angry, if you get angry, it's like worshipping idols. Why is anger equated to worshipping idols? Why would anger be? So the Tanya explains that really, if a person believes that everything, in Yiddish there's a word, I'm sure everybody or many of you have heard it, which is called bashert. Anybody heard the word bashert? Bashert, it's meant to be. It's not something that we are in charge. So, if we believe that things are bashert, things are meant to be, that's the way they are. In some instances, or in all instances, we don't have a choice it's meant to be. There's no reason to get angry. Because getting angry you're almost saying that things are just happening like that. But if you know that Hashem runs the world and everything is His, is destined by Hashem so if something happened to you you accept it. You say probably uh, that's the way Hashem wants it to be. And you don't Blame or you don't get angry at an individual. Most of us, you know, when things don't go, we get angry on our parents. It's somebody else's fault. We get angry at our spouses. But there's nothing reason to get angry because what happened was meant to be beshared and don't get angry. Now, we can't take it to the. So, this doesn't excuse. Like a person to say, you "Now I'm going to insult you today," and then you say "bashert" because you have to be insulted. No, no. You don't have a right to go ahead and insult anybody by saying it's bashert. The person who got insulted is bashert to get his insult, but you're not the one that's supposed to be doing it. That's your bad choice. It's not. That's not bashert for you to do it. So, but the point here is, we see why. Getting angry can be associated with worshiping idols in the sense that you're not believing at the moment that Hashem is doing it, so you get angry. But why would stealing be compared to getting angry? What what is to worshiping idols? How is stealing connected to worshiping idols? So, there's interesting. There is a halacha. There is a law that says that if a person steals and then he's caught, he has to pay double. So if you go and you break into somebody's house at night and you steal something from there, and then you get caught, then you have to pay twice. You have to pay double. In Hebrew it's known as keFO kephel. kephel means double. You pay double. But that's only if you broke in at night, you did it in a hidden way that nobody saw. But if you go openly in the street and steal something in the day of light from somebody else, that is known as a goslin, a robber. You openly, okay, you point a gun and you say, give me your money. And you do it openly. So then, when you catch this goslin, he has to pay but he doesn't pay double. So I'm quoting here from the Talmud. So the Talmudim asked from Yochanan ben Zakkai, why was this Torah more stringent by a Ganev that he should pay double, more than a goslin than one who does it openly? So he said like this. He says the goslin doesn't care about Hashem because he's stealing from people, robbing people but he doesn't care about people either because he does it in the daylight. So at least he has no respect, he has no fear, not for God and not for the people. So to him, the God and the people, he has no respect for anybody. But a thief who is doing things at nighttime so that means that he's afraid of people. But he says Hashem doesn't see. He doesn't believe. So he is in a way degrading and putting Hashem on less of a level than the human beings. So this is one of the ideas that the Rebbe brings. When you steal, when you steal things in hiding and you're doing it in a way to a certain extent, it shows that you're afraid of people more than Hashem and in a way that is as Rabbi Lezab Azariah says in the statement Rabbi Hamzaak says been worse than the other way sometimes when we make mistakes uh, but uh, in a uh, in an open way so okay then we're we're bound to, later on, ask forgiveness when things are open. But sometimes when we hide, and we hide it from ourselves, we have issues that we need to deal with, but we don't want to deal with it. We are like the gun of hidden. That may be a, a bigger problem. But in any event, uh, that concludes the lesson for today. I hope that uh, we learned something today. And... Yeah. um Go ahead, I wanna hear anybody.